Have you ever driven through an abandoned town? A town that once was thriving with people but has been completely abandoned. I'll tell you, having lived in Wyoming for six years, there were a number of times on road trips throughout the states we encountered a few abandoned towns. Towns, there were still buildings, they were just overgrown, they were falling apart, there was not a human being to be seen. If you've not had that experience, perhaps you can remember just a few years ago in the recent Olympics, there was a number of pictures and videos that went viral showing the past Olympic venues that once were filled with people, once thriving, that now lay in ruins, overgrown with grass, not a person to be seen, a shadow of what it once was. Or if you're a parent or grandparent, you've probably seen the movie Cars and the town of Radiator Springs that once lie on Route 66 but now is just a blip on the radar as Lightning McQueen learns as he is condemned there. My point is that there is a certain sadness when we see cities or venues or empires that once were great but are now only a shadow of what they once were. Cities or venues that have been abandoned, that lie in ruins, that are lonely. Over the next several weeks, we're going to take a journey through the book of Lamentations, which you could say is an abandoned book of the Old Testament. I imagine that most of you don't spend your morning devotional time in the book of Lamentations. You have probably not heard a sermon series through the book of Lamentations. But Lamentations describes one of the most ugly scenes in all the Bible. When Jerusalem, once the great city of God, lay in ruins. 2 Kings chapters 24 and 25 gives us the details of the destruction of Jerusalem, but the book of Lamentations gives us the emotion of its destruction. Lamentations is a book that describes in vivid detail the ugliness, the consequences, and the punishment of sin. Lamentations is a collection of five poems that poetically pictures the emotion of suffering. I want you to open your Bibles up to the book of Lamentations. If you can find the book of Jeremiah, uh, keep turning. If uh, you hit Ezekiel, Daniel, you've gone too far. But as you're turning to Lamentations chapter 1, I want to introduce to you just a, a real basic concept. If you are one of the original readers of the book of Lamentations, one of the things you would immediately notice about the book is that the book, each chapter, is structured very poetically. Chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 are all written in the form of a Hebrew acrostic, and what it's basically an alphabet poem. In other words, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, every verse follows the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Chapters 1, 2, and 4 all have 22 letters. Chapter 3, 66, because each letter is given three verses. And then we come to chapter 5, and chapter 5 loses all of its acrostic structure, all of its alphabetic structure. It just disintegrates into total chaos. And we'll talk about that when we get there. 
But Lamentations is a collection of funeral poems, of lament poems, as Jeremiah, the author, looks upon and remembers the destruction of the great city of Jerusalem, and he captures in poetic form what plain language simply cannot capture. The raw emotion of the consequences of sin. This is why our sermon this morning is entitled The ABCs of Repentance. Today we're going to look at Lamentations chapter 1 and there in your outline or in your bulletin you should have received an outline. You can see that we're going to break down the 22 verses of Lamentations 1 into three descriptions of what has happened to Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been abandoned, Jerusalem has been plundered, Jerusalem has been shunned. And after each section, Lady Zion, the personified Jerusalem, cries out in her pain. Jerusalem abandoned, and Lady Zion cries out. Jerusalem plundered, and Lady Zion cries out. Jerusalem shunned, and Lady Zion cries out. Again, grab your Bibles with me. Let's take a look first at number one on your outline. Lady Zion, Jerusalem abandoned. And as we go through these verses together, there is a repeated phrase that I want you to take note of. Five times we're going to see a phrase or something similar to, and there was no one to comfort her. And there was no one to comfort her. As Jerusalem is abandoned and plundered and shunned, there's none to comfort her. Notice Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1 how lonely sits the city that was once full of people. She has become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. She weeps bitterly in the night and her tears are on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her among all her lovers. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Again, Lamentations is a collection of poems. So Jeremiah doesn't begin this collection of poems by telling us about the destruction of Jerusalem, the breaking down of its walls, the burning of the city, or the defeat of her army. Instead, Jeremiah here in Lamentations poetically pictures Jerusalem as a lonely widow. And throughout this chapter, we're going to see a contrast between what once was and what now is, a mere shadow of what she used to be. Here in verse 1, we see the city of Zion, Jerusalem, pictured as a lonely widow, once full of people, once great among the nations, once the princess of the provinces, but now no more. Like a lonely widow, the city of Jerusalem weeps, verse 2, bitterly in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks. And her former lovers, a reference to these pagan alliances with whom she had entered into relationship, are no longer there. Her friends, those she used to turn to, 
The pagan nations are no longer to be found. Again, in verse 2, we see the first of that repeated phrase, she has none to comfort her. She has none to comfort her in her misery, in her suffering, in her distress. She's alone. In verses 2 through 9, we see a continuation of this theme of loneliness. We see in verses 2 through 9 this idea that among Lady Zion, the Jerusalem, there are no lovers, there are no friends, there are no rest, there is no worshipers, there are no children, no food, no help, no honor, no comforter to be found. She's a city of no mores. Again, notice verse 2, she weeps bitterly in the night, her tears are on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her among all her lovers. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. For poor Lady Zion, there's none to comfort her. She has no lovers, she has no friends, she is alone. See this continuing in verse 3, Judah has gone into exile under affliction and under harsh servitude. She dwells among the nations, but she has found, notice, no rest. All her pursuers have overtaken her in the midst of distress. Instead of dwelling securely in the promised land, Judah has been sent out into exile. And there in exile among pagan nations, notice Lady Zion finds no rest, but only distress, only harsh servitude. Verse 4, we see it gets even worse. The roads of Zion are in mourning because no one comes to the appointed feasts. All her gates are desolate. Her priests are groaning, her virgins are afflicted, and she herself is bitter. Again, take note of what once was, but what now is. The city of Jerusalem, once filled with worshipers, lining her streets, flocking to Jerusalem for the pilgrimage holidays. The streets are now empty. The gates are desolate. The priests who should be leading people in worship are groaning. The virgins are afflicted. There are no worshipers to be found. Verse 5, her adversaries, her enemies have become her masters. Her enemies prosper for the Lord has caused her grief. Notice because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her little ones, her children, have gone away as captives before the adversary. Notice Jeremiah here acknowledges the reason all of this is happening is because of the multitude of trans- the transgressions. All of this is taking place because the people of Judah have turned their back on the Lord. And now... The city that was once filled with little ones, the little children have gone away. They've been led away as captives before the adversary, the Babylonians. Verse 6, it gets even worse, believe it or not. All her majesty 
has departed from the daughter of Zion. Her princes have become like deer that have not found pasture. They have fled without strength before the pursuer. Again, a contrast between what once was and what now is. The princes, the royalty of Jerusalem. Here are compared to deer that are in a pasture but can find no food. Even among the royalty, there's no food. The city of Jerusalem that once had the glory of God dwelling there has no majesty. No majesty, no strength, no food. Verse 7. In the days of her affliction and homelessness, Jerusalem remembers all her precious things that were from days of old when her people fell into the hand of the adversary and no one helped her. The adversary saw her and they mocked at her ruin. Sadly, notice the only thing that Jerusalem really has, this is the city now of no mores, the only thing Jerusalem has is the memory of what once was. The memory of days gone by, the days of old when she remembered her precious things, but she's now fallen into the hands of her adversaries and her adversaries now mock her and there's no helper to be found. This again is a poetic picture of just utter helplessness. Verse 8, notice, Jerusalem sinned greatly. Therefore, she has become an unclean thing. All who honored her now despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Even she herself groans and turns away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She did not consider her future. Therefore, she has fallen astonishingly. And notice again, she has no comforter. Jerusalem, formerly the great city of God, is now a mere shadow of what she once was. And here we see the idea of shame. Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, Lady Zion, is pictured as a woman whose nakedness has been exposed, whose uncleanness is demonstrated in her skirts, and she has no honor but only shame. And saddest of all, she has no comforter. No one to help her in her lowly state. So this is the description of Jerusalem's abandonment, a city of no mores. And continuing in verse 9, now Lady Zion cries out. Again, after each description, we see Lady Zion cry out, asking God for help, asking God to intervene. Notice the end of verse 9, Lady Zion screams out, See, O Lord, my affliction. For the enemy has magnified himself. Or the enemy has become great. For now, I want you to take note of that word see. S-E-E. We're going to see this word repeated throughout chapter 1. In fact, every time Lady Zion speaks, she asks the Lord and she will ask us to see. To look on her condition. And here, Lady Zion cries out, See, O Lord, 
my affliction. At this point, I think it's helpful to stop for just a second and ask why. As we see, as we look on the affliction of Lady Zion, we need to ask why. Why is this happening? Why would God allow this type of abandonment, this plundering, this shunning, this destruction to come upon the city of Jerusalem, to come upon God's chosen people? Why? What I want you to understand is that in allowing this to happen, God is not being unfair. He is not being unjust. He is not being unrighteous. In fact, this all goes back to a passage, you can jot it down, Deuteronomy chapter 28 through 30. Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 30 is a description of a covenant that God entered into with his chosen people. And the terms of the covenant were very clear. The terms of the covenant were basically God came to his people and he said, listen, if you obey me, then I'm going to bless you. If you obey me, then life is going to go good for you. But God also says there in Deuteronomy 28 through 30 to the chosen people of Israel, listen, if you disobey me, I'm going to discipline you. If you disobey me, things are going to go really poorly for you. There are going to be severe consequences for your sin. And there in Deuteronomy 28 through 30, God even gets to the detail of saying, listen, if you disobey me for long enough, I'm going to kick you out of the promised land and take you off into exile where your enemies will rule over you. In other words, what I want you to understand here about what's happening in the book of Lamentations, God is not being unfair, God is not being unjust, God is not being unkind. In fact, God is being faithful to his word. God is being faithful to this covenant that he had entered into with the people of Israel, a covenant, by the way, that they agreed to abide by. God is simply fulfilling what he promised long ago would indeed happen when his people, his chosen people, chose sinfulness over righteousness. And because of the sinfulness of the people of Judah, Jerusalem has been abandoned. And as we look at number two on your outline, Jerusalem has also been plundered. Notice Lamentations chapter 1. Verses 10 and 11, here we see the description of the plundering of the city of Jerusalem. Jeremiah tells us, the adversary has stretched out his hand over all her precious things. For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, the ones whom you commanded that they should not enter into your congregation. All her people groan, seeking bread. They have given their precious things for food to restore their lives themselves. Here we see Jeremiah describe the plundering of the city of Jerusalem. And we know that when the Babylonians came and they conquered the city, that these very things indeed took place. We know, first we see here the desecration of the temple. Notice The nations have entered her sanctuary, the ones whom you commanded that they should not enter into your congregation. But the Babylonians, the pagans, entered into the temple there in Jerusalem, completely desecrated it and destroyed it. 
the building where the glory of God once resided is now defiled. The second thing we see here there in verse 11 is the severe famine that came across the land as the Babylonians surrounded the city. Famine. We see here the extent of the famine that people have given or exchanged their precious things, think their silver and gold, simply to restore lives to themselves as they're seeking bread, the basic necessity of life. Giving everything they have so that they don't starve. Again, a depressing description of what took place. And continuing in verse 11 now, we hear Lady Zion cry out again in response to her plundering. Notice the end there of Lamentations 11, verse 11. See, O Lord, and look, for I am despised. Once again, we see Lady Zion cry out, asking God to see, S-E-E to look upon her, to see her despised state, to see her misery, O Lord. And then as Lady Zion continues speaking there in verse 12, she also calls upon not only the Lord, but the passerbys to see as well. Notice Lamentations 1 verse 12. Is it nothing to all you who pass this way? Look and see. If there is any pain like my pain, which was severely dealt out to me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. So having asked God to see her misery and her pain, Lady Zion now invites all the passerbys, those traveling also to look upon, to see her condition. I want you to notice that Jerusalem's destruction here is not a chance occurrence, but it's the direct results of God's judgment, the judgment God inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. But Lady Zion is inviting us to see, to look upon what she is enduring, and in looking upon to see what's taken place, we're invited to be warned, to take notice. Quickly, in verses 13 through 15, we see poetic pictures of four metaphors of what the destruction of Jerusalem was like. Four pictures describing the destruction of Jerusalem. Notice first verse 13, from on high he, God, sent fire into my bones and it prevailed over them. The burning of Lady Zion's bones might be a reference to the burning of the city itself as it was caught on fire by the Babylonians. Halfway through verse 13, Jeremiah switches metaphors and he says, He, God, has spread a net for my feet. He has turned me back. He has made me desolate, faint all day long. Here the discipline of the Lord is compared to a hunter who has spread a net and captured Jerusalem in it. The third metaphor we see in verse 14, the yoke of my transgressions is bound by his hand. They are knit together. 
They have come upon my neck. He has made my strength fail. The Lord has given me into the hands of those against whom I am not able to stand. The Lord has rejected all my strong men in my midst. Here, Jeremiah pictures poetically the very sins of the nation being woven together as a rope that's placed upon Lady Zion's neck, a yoke which she cannot endure. And the fourth metaphor we see there in verse 15, he has called an appointed time against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughters of Judah. Here the discipline of the Lord is compared to grapes in a winepress being crushed. Perhaps a vivid picture of the bloodshed, the death among the people of Judah as the Babylonians came in. And once again, in this depressing description, we see perhaps the worst of it all in verse 16, there is no comforter. For these things I weep, My eyes run down with water, notice, because far from me is a comforter, one who restores my soul. My children are desolate because the enemy has prevailed. As bad as all of this is, the worst thing of it all, again repeated five times in this chapter, is there is no comforter. There is no one there. Jerusalem is a lonely widow, suffering alone. She's been abandoned. She's been plundered. And as we look at number three on your outline, she's been shunned. Lamentations 1, verse 17. Zion stretches out her hands, and there is no one to comfort her. The Lord has commanded concerning Jacob that the ones around him should be his adversaries. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. Again, what a picture of extreme sadness and loneliness as the city of Zion, Lady Jerusalem, is depicted as a widow reaching out, stretching out her hands, looking for someone to help her. But once again, there is no one to comfort her. In her suffering, instead of being surrounded by friends, notice she's surrounded by adversaries. She's become an unclean thing among them. And once again in verse 18, Lady Zion cries out. She cries out in her distress. She says, the Lord is righteous. For I have rebelled against his command. Notice the confession. The acknowledgement of the righteousness of God, even in the midst of her suffering, the suffering she deserves because of her rebellion. Here, Lady Zion wisely acknowledges that even in all of this, the Lord is righteous. Why? Because she rebelled. She rebelled against the commands of God. Throughout Lamentations, Lamentations 1, but really the entire book, there's this contrast between the righteousness of God and the rebellion of God's people. 
The Lord is righteous. I have rebelled against his command. And then notice verse 18. Having acknowledged her sin, Lady Zion now cries out, Hear now all peoples, and behold, or literally, see my pain. My virgins and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and my elders perished in the city while they sought food to restore their strength themselves. Here, Lady Zion calls out to us. Lady Zion invites us to see her pain, to see the consequences of her sin, and not just see it, but to learn from it, to consider why this has taken place. And in verse 20, Lady Zion now cries out to the Lord, See, O Lord, For I am in distress. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is overturned within me. Notice, for I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword slays. The house in it is like death. They have heard that I groan. Notice, there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my calamity and notice they are glad that you have done it. Oh, that you would bring the day which you have proclaimed that they may become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me for all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. For the final time in this chapter, we see that word see, S-E-E. Lady Zion, having acknowledged her sinfulness, now asks God to see her pain, and implied in that is to do something about it. Lady Zion is calling upon the Lord to look compassionately on her suffering, even though she's been rebellious. And I want you to notice Midway through verse 21, speaking to God, Lady Zion says this, Oh, that you would bring the day which you have proclaimed, that they may become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me for all my transgressions. One of the amazing things we see in the book of Lamentations is that as the city of Jerusalem is suffering for her sin, as the people of Judah are suffering for their sin, God's discipline in their life is linked to the promise that one day God's justice will come upon all the earth. That God's discipline of Judah is a foreshadowing of his dealing with sin of all people for all time. That one day, God's perfect justice, perfect righteousness will come not only upon the people of Judah, but upon the entire earth. Let all their wickedness come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me. For my groans are many. And my heart is faint. This is a 
challenging book, isn't it? It's a bit of a depressing book. As we're confronted with the harsh, ugly reality of the consequences of sin. And so as we look at number four on your outline application, what in the world do we do with a chapter like this? The first thing I want you to understand is that uh, we're not Israel. We're the church. We're not in this Deuteronomy 28 through 30 covenant with God. But we see even in the New Testament this reality that God disciplines us in our sin. Just like he disciplined the people of Israel for their sin, God also disciplines us in our sin. The book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews tells us that God disciplines those he loves. And that ultimately God's discipline in our life as we rebel against him, it's ultimately for our good. It's ultimately to wake us up and to bring us back to faithfulness, to righteousness, to following him. And that's really the the big picture of the entire book of Lamentations. But as we look at chapter one, there is something I want you to notice here. In chapter one, there's a concentration of three repeated words. A concentration of three very key and repeated words that help unlock the meaning of Lamentations chapter one for us. The first big repeated word is that word see, S-E-E. It's used eight times in Lamentations chapter one, most often spoken by Lady Zion herself. See, O Lord, my affliction. See, O Lord, I am despised. Look and see if there is any pain like my pain. See my pain. See, O Lord, I am in distress. Eight times we see the word see here in this chapter. The word see, again, is, it means more than just seeing with your eyes. But it really means to see and to consider, to think about. In repeating this word, see, Lady Zion is inviting us not only to see what happened, but to investigate why it happened. Why did God allow the city of Jerusalem to suffer so severely? Because she sinned so greatly. Truly, she's getting what she deserves. We're confronted with the painful reality here that sin has consequences. We can't just live life according to our own way, rejecting what God has said and expect to get off scot-free. That's just not the way God deals with his people. And so in this first repeated word C, we're invited to really consider not only what has happened, but why it's happening. The second repeated word, that's used here in Lamentations chapter one. It's translated a number of ways, but it's the Hebrew word often translated as return. The word for return, the Hebrew word for return is used 15 times in this entire book, five times in Lamentations chapter one. This particular Hebrew word is often translated in the Old Testament as repent. Repent. 
This entire series in Lamentations is really a series on repentance. Now, repentance can be a confusing term. It's been used and abused over the years, but very simply speaking, repentance describes a change. A change. Charles Ryrie defines repentance as a genuine change of mind that affects the life in some way. A genuine change of mind that affects the life in some way. And throughout the scripture, we see that God is constantly calling his people to repentance, to return to him, to turn away from their sin, to change their mind and what they think about life, and to have that affect their life in some way that leads to greater obedience and holiness in life. We're going to talk about repentance throughout this five-week series, and we'll talk about it here in just a minute. But the third word I want you to see repeated here in Lamentations chapter one is the word comfort. Comfort. We see it five times here in Lamentations chapter one. There's a contrast between suffering and comfort throughout this chapter. By the way, the word for comfort can be translated as compassion or consolation, but another way it's often translated in the Old Testament is repentance. And five times here in Lamentations chapter one, we see that for Lady Zion, because of her sin, there is no comfort. There is no comfort. See, return, and comfort. And there on the backside of your outline, that's exactly what I'm asking you to do, what I think the invitation of Lamentations one is for us, to see, return, and comfort, to examine our life, to see the areas in which God is calling us to return to him for true comfort. Lamentations 1 is an invitation for us to examine our lives, to see the areas in our life where God is calling us to stop trusting in the things of this world and to trust only in him and the comfort that only he can give. Listen, there's a reason why Lamentations isn't often preached. It's a challenging book. Because confession is challenging for us. Repentance is hard for us. Because in it, we have to acknowledge that we've sinned. That all of us, even the most faithful in the room, we all have these areas in our life where we need to live a life of repentance, where we need to constantly turn to the Lord and forsake the things of this world. Repentance is hard. I don't like it any more than anyone else. But what I want you to understand is that because your sins are forgiven, because of Jesus' work on the cross, because your salvation is eternally secure in him, because there's nothing you can do that will separate you from the love of God, because as the kids' choir sang just a few minutes ago about that infinite love of Christ that's infinitely yours, because of the gospel, we can and we should live a life of repentance. 
where we're constantly turning to the Lord. I love the words of John Newton of Amazing Grace, who said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but still I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that truly is the heart of repentance. And so to close, I want to lead us together in a prayer of repentance, pausing along the way so you can silently pray and confess to the Lord in your own heart. And then we're going to rejoice and celebrate together as we sing just a few closing songs, rejoicing in the forgiveness that we freely be given in Christ our Savior. Would you pray with me? This too is a prayer from the book of Common Prayer. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker and judge of us all, we acknowledge and lament our many sins and offenses which we have committed by thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty. Provoking most justly your righteous anger against us. We are deeply sorry for these our transgressions. The burden of them is more than we can bear. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Forgive us of all that is past and grant that we may evermore serve and please you in newness of life to the honor and glory of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you take a moment to silently confess your sin to the Lord? with the hope of the gospel, with the reality of our forgiveness in Jesus. 1 John 1, tells, 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for forgiving us. We thank you for redeeming us, for saving us. And Father, we thank you that you love us enough not only to forgive us our sin, but to continue working in us and through us to sanctify us, to empower us, to live godly and righteously for you in this present age. Father, we thank you. And now as we sing, we sing with hearts rejoicing over the grace, the mercy, the love you've given us in Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.